0: Thank you for joining us on the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. This week's message is by Steve Fowler. Good morning, Salem Alliance. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, thanks, team, for leading us well as we're worshiping our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We're in this series, as Natalie's been leading, and just in her prayers, just reminding us. Uh, our God is a God of justice, and we are talking about chasing the justice. Started that series last week, and uh, just a bit of a recap for us. Uh, we wanted to clearly identify and define wh- what what is this justice from a biblical perspective. And uh, as we have talked about that, there are really two dynamics at play with biblical justice There's retributive justice, which I think most of us are very familiar with. You know, if you're speeding uh, through a neighborhood or you're on I-5 south-north and you're going faster than the speed limit and you get pulled over, you have just experienced retributive justice. Um, and and God's word is is very clear on uh, the fact that lawlessness is it shouldn't be part uh, of society. And so, but we're very familiar with retributive justice. But there's a second dynamic at play when it comes to biblical justice. And that is restorative justice, or sometimes referred to as social justice. And, and restorative justice, or social justice, is a, a justice that is, has an eye out for the disadvantaged. So if you read scripture, say Micah chapter 6, verse 8, what's the Lord require of you to do justly? to love mercy, and to walk, to walk humbly with our God. Well, how do you do justly? It's, well, it's having an eye out for the disadvantaged, the immigrant, the orphan, the, the, the widow, the, the foreigner. Um, and you'll see that that emphasis all throughout Scripture, this pursuit of retributive justice as well as restorative justice. And, uh, and we talked about, case, okay, so what are some of the first steps that we can be taking as we chase justice? And we went to James chapter 1, verse 19. We talked about being slow to speak and slow to become angry. And while that, that word in the original language does have something to do with pace, uh, it has more to do with slow as in, I don't have all the facts, Slow as in, I don't know everything there is to know about this particular circumstance. And as James is writing to a first century church to talk about prejudice and favoritism, he reminds people to, to what he's saying is to embrace an intellectual humility. Uh, in, to embrace this idea that I, I don't have all there is to know in my brain to speak or to react in a certain emotion. But we are to, with swift and fast and rapid-like or turbo-like pace, embrace a listening posture. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. And so we want to be really quick to, to just listen and say, okay, what are people saying? What's being said? I want to make sure I understand. And as I've been doing my very best to listen in these days where racial tensions are rising and, and they're pretty high uh, in, in these days, I've been try, trying to do my best as, to, to listen. And, and as I listen, I, I can't say I agree with everything that's being said, but there are some things that have kind of shocked me. And like, okay, wait a minute, what, what's what's being said there? And one of the things that's, uh, that's being said is this idea and these days, you know, it's, it's not good enough to just not be a racist. It's, it's not good enough just to, to not be a racist. You need to be anti-racist. Now, uh, one young African-American uh, was interviewed and explaining what he meant by this. He, he, he's saying, you know, someone saying I'm not a racist doesn't help the problem. Simply saying I'm not doing that is passive, it's like witnessing someone getting jumped and being like, hey, I didn't jump them, but you also stood there while he or she got jumped. Being an anti-racist is getting involved and being like, break it up, stop this. An attitude of racial equality plus action is the key difference between being not racist and being anti-racist. Now, Here's what I love about Jesus. Jesus had, he he, he possessed incredible courage. He courageously spoke into the realities of what society was experiencing in the day. He didn't kind of skirt around the topic. He dove in, spoke on these topics, and he spoke in such a way that it would cause heads to snap, uh, jaws to drop. He would speak with such clarity to these issues, and he often spoke to the issues of race and he spoke quite clearly and what I want to do today is I want to look at one of those instances where Jesus does that and if you've got your Bibles go to Luke chapter 10 we're going to look at a story here pretty well-known story but what I want to do is is taking this idea that we're hearing we're hearing today that you know it's not just good enough to just not be racist it's not good just to, to passively say yeah I'm, I'm, I'm not for that but how, how do I how do I be anti-racist and I believe Jesus answers that question very directly Now the, the language is different the, 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 the racial strife is it, it looks different uh, but the the biblical undertones are are the same and God's heart is still the same as we are chasing justice together. So Luke chapter 10 Jesus is asked a question by a lawyer. it's a trick question. Now, a little background for you. People ask trick questions all the time to Jesus. And religious leaders and religious lawyers did that frequently. And the reason they did is because they were pretty suspect of Jesus' theology, He, he was, he was kind of an unorthodox individual and, and the religious leaders of the day were, were concerned about his orthodoxy. He just was, it seemed like he was preaching a message of easy believism. It, it seemed kind of, kind of liberal. I mean, the kingdom of heaven is here. You need to repent and you need to put your faith in me and believe and you can experience eternal life. And, and the religious leaders of the day were concerned that he was undermining the Mosaic law. And so they would try to ask Jesus these trick questions because they wanted to expose him. They wanted the crowds to see him as a charlatan or a fraud. And their concerns and their suspicions about him were confirmed in their eyes because the crowds that gathered around Jesus were suspect. I mean... He hung out with prostitutes and tax collectors and thieves. And and the kind of people he spent time with were the kind of people that, from the Pharisees' point of view, these were people who were under God's judgment. Lepers, the sick, the poor. So trick questions were, were very common. They, they were asked quite frequently to Jesus by the leaders of the day. And in Luke chapter 10, uh, the question is asked, Jesus, how do I inherit eternal life? It's being asked by a religious lawyer. He knows the answer to the question, but he's poking at Jesus' theology. And Jesus answers a trick question with a trick question. So he says to the lawyer, well, what did the scripture say? What's the law say? And the lawyer Answers the question very quickly. Well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Bingo. Nailed it. 100%. A plus. High fives. You got it right. Question answered. It seems like it's all done, but the lawyer wants to do something. And Luke tells us. Luke tells us he's going to ask a second question. It's a second question that will produce one of the most famous stories that Jesus will ever tell. And Luke tells us the motive behind the question. He tells us that the lawyer, seeking to justify himself, asked the question, "Who is my neighbor?" Now, what is he justifying? So he he's got it right that we, we are we're to have no other person before us other than God, that, that all our allegiance is to be God and then to God and then to love our neighbors as ourselves. But he's seeking to justify himself. And the, the hints are there that what he's doing, he's selectively choosing which neighbors he's going to love. So he's seeking to justify his own actions and poses the question to Jesus so Who is my neighbor? Who is this person that I'm supposed to love? And this produces this epic story that we call the good Samaritan. No Jew in that day would have called a Samaritan good. But Jesus tells a story. I want to read it for us. And I think it's instructive in the question of our day. So what does it mean to be anti-racist? Jesus is going to tell a story about race. You can't miss this. Maybe you've not looked through that lens before, but he's going to tell a story about about race as he answers the question, how do I inherit eternal life? And who is my neighbor? So Luke chapter 10, I'll begin reading in verse 30. Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance... A priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits, Jesus asked? The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. This is God's holy word. Jesus tells a story that's, it's a provocative story. It's laced with with racial tension. Uh, We don't get it because we don't know the context of it. Jesus, to, it'd be like in our in our world's history. It's like telling a story, like during the Yugoslavian civil war about Bosnians and Serbs. It's like telling a story in the midst of the Rwandan genocide about uh, about about Hutus and Tutsis. It's like being in India and talking about uh, Pakistanis and Indians. It's it's like going back in time and talking about Ottomans and Armenians. It's 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 going and it it's it's talking about places where there is racial it's about Russians and Chechnyans or black and white. You see, Jesus could have told a cute moral tale here. He could have avoided all the landmines by, you know, using different characters. Don't talk about a Jewish man and a Samaritan and priests and Levites. I mean, use animals. Use a bird, a frog, a squirrel, a rabbit, and you could just maybe get your message across and nobody's feelings will be will be hurt. Uh, But Jesus knows the heart behind the question. And Jesus knows the circumstances behind the question. And so he cuts to the heart of the question and tells a story that answers the man's that answers the man's questions perfectly. Who is my neighbor? little background free as Jesus talks about Samaritans again we don't see Samaritans as bad in fact we you know, we got hospitals named you know good samaritan again no Jew would call Samaritan good because in 722 BC when Israel was conquered by Assyria is people from from Israel Jews were were exiled they were taken to Assyria and it was as was common practice in those days some Jews were left in the land but Assyrians came from Assyria, and they moved in, they colonized this conquered land. They brought with them their customs, their culture, their traditions, and they brought with them their religion. Now, the Jews that were exiled to Assyria, and who would later be exiled to Babylon, those Jews worked so hard to retain their Jewish identity, and to retain their love for Jehovah, Yet, the Jews in Israel, as this Assyrian population moved in, they intermarried with them, they adopted some of their customs, and uh, they sort of melded their Jewish world with this new Assyrian world, and uh, And they embraced the Assyrian religion, and idolatry became part of their lifestyle. Now, fast forward uh, over over centuries, fa- over decades, and the Jewish exiles are now coming back from those lands they've been exiled to. They're coming back to their homeland after all this time, in this place where they They've tried to retain their Jewish identity, retain their, their allegiance to Jehovah, and they come back to Israel, and what do they discover? They discover a group of people who have now become what they would describe as half-breeds. They were people living in the region of Samaria, and these were people who did not retain their allegiance to Jehovah. They saw them as compromisers. They looked down on them. They despised them. They called them Samaritans. It was a racial slur. They wanted nothing to do with these people. If a Samaritan touched something, it it became as unclean as swine flesh, which kind of gives you some insight into Jesus' interaction with the woman at the well in John chapter 4. It would automatically be unclean just because a Samaritan touched it. Kenneth Bailey, author and scholar, tells us that in synagogue worship, there was actually time, there was liturgy spoken, some worship liturgy that was spoken that actually cursed the Samaritans, and they offered prayers, praying that God would not admit the Samaritans into eternal life. Can you imagine spending time in a worship service, praying that a certain people group would not be allowed to enter into heaven. Friends, that's what the Jews did with the Samaritans. These were a despised people, and they were looked down on. If you're traveling from the south of Israel to the north of Israel, you would go around Samaria, not through it, because you didn't go into that neighborhood. And yet Jesus is going to tell a story. He's going to answer a question, how do I inherit eternal life? Who is my neighbor And what does he do? He tells a story about a Jew and a Samaritan, two people groups at significant odds with one another. And he's going to make the despised one the hero of the story. Again, we're chasing justice here. We're answering the question what's it mean to be anti-racist? What's it mean to be someone who could deliver racial healing that our nation so longs for in these days? Well, Jesus tells a story and actually does a great job of helping us answer the question because... Friends, he, here's here's the story. I mean, the story is that you you have this road from Jerusalem to Jericho. There's a man who's been he's been attacked. He's been robbed by bandits. He's been stripped of his clothes. He's been beaten up. He's left for dead. There's a there's a priest, a Jewish priest. His job. He he's a pastor. He he works in the temple, and and he, and he should know better, but he sees and he keeps. He crosses the other side of the road. Keeps moving on. The, the, the temple servant, the Levite, he also sees, actually, he draws close, takes a look. He's sort of rubbernecking on his trip to Jericho, and, uh, and, but he, he moves on. But a uh, despised Samaritan sees, he looks, he feels, he crosses over, and he ends up being the hero of the story. Here's what the Samaritan does, the very first thing that you, that you need to see. The Samaritan doesn't just see a problem, he feels it. You've already heard me say, so in the story that Jesus tells, you have a priest. The priest sees the man who's left for dead. The, the temple servant sees the man left for dead. The, the good, this good Samaritan, this the Samaritan traveler, is on the, he also sees the man left for dead. But something different takes place. He not only sees, he feels. He feels the circumstances of this moment. This compassion that he felt is the same kind of compassion that you would find in some of the miracle stories that you find in the Gospels where Jesus sees a blind man and he's filled with compassion. He sees a leper and he's filled with compassion. It's this unique word in, in the Greek. It literally means to get all twisted up inside. It's to have your innards all twisted up like you're in this agony of emotion as you see the desperate circumstances of someone else. I grew up in China. Grew up in Hong Kong. Uh, it was very common for me walking the streets of Hong Kong to see beggars on the to see blind uh, men and women, to see uh, lame men and women uh, on, the, on the streets begging. One time, I went back to visit uh, my parents. My kids were with me, and I was walking the streets of Hong Kong one day with one of my, one of my kids. We uh, were going to cross the street. I see on the, on the corner on the other side, there is a blind woman. She has her cup out. She's just hoping for a few coins from some people so that she can make it through the day. And so we cross the street. I reach into my pocket. I I grab some coins. I put whatever coins I have in my pocket. I put it in her cup, and we keep keep moving on. And we get about half a block away, and I look at my child as we're walking down the road, and I can see tears in their eyes. So I stop. Like, "Are, are you are you okay? What what's going on? And my my kid says to me, Dad, that that woman doesn't doesn't need money. She needs to see. She needs her eyesight. And that child drug me back to the corner because all I did was see. But she saw and she felt this woman's need. That's that getting all twisted up inside. This is what the Samaritan experiences in Jesus' story as he's answering the question who's my neighbor? Friends, for a moment, can I just ask you to imagine and see a picture in your mind's eye? In these recent days in our nation, the the catalyst for this current rising and this cry for, for restorative justice in our nation, it emanates from a moment when a police officer has his knee on the neck of George Floyd. Now, let me just say this. In my attempt to help bring this picture to life, in no way am I trying to demonize anyone. Both the police officer and George Floyd matter to God. But if you could, in in, in your mind's eye, you can imagine that picture. And there's George Floyd on the ground, pinned to the ground, handcuffed. And there is the officer, Officer Chauvin, who's who's over, knee on the neck. I want you to see the face of the officer. See the vacancy in his eyes. See his hands in his pockets. See Mr. Floyd on the street saying the words, I can't breathe, over and over again. Hear him cry out, For his mother. He says, Mama, Mama, he knows he's dying. Friend, again, I'm not having you paint the picture to in any way demonize anyone. I'm wanting to paint the picture because the question I want to ask you is what do you feel? Do you feel? My fear is that we've seen so much violence. We, we see it perhaps on our streets or we watch it in movies. We read about it in books. We, we see it in the TV shows. We watch it. My fear is that the, the, the violence and, and everything that we see and what we watch and we give it our attention to has so desensitized us to where we no longer feel. Have we lost the capacity to get all twisted up inside? So much so that the conversation isn't about two people whose lives have been completely altered conversation turns to be an ideological conversation. Friends, so here's the deal. Do you know that the Jewish priest and the Levite in Jesus' story, they didn't commit the act of violence. They didn't beat the man up. The sin of the priest and the Levite is not violence. The sin of the priest and the Levite is indifference. Friends, What are we feeling in these days? As Jesus is talking about who's my neighbor and how do I love my neighbor? For us, he's answered this question, what's it look like to be anti-racist? And as we learn from this story, it's a story rooted in racial tension between Samaritans and Jews. And I don't believe there's any one of us who's guilty of the sin of violence, but I wonder as I search my own heart, And I'll let you search your own heart. Am I guilty of the sin of indifference? And the Samaritan in this story, he not only sees the problem, but he feels it. Now, here's the second thing that that the good Samaritan does. The good Samaritan, not only does he see and feel, the Samaritan gets involved and he becomes a healer in the story. Again, Jesus makes him the hero. This is a complete turnaround. No one would have expect, expected this because I mean, there's, Samaritans aren't viewed in any positive way in Jesus' day. Yet Jesus makes him the hero of the story and he gets involved. He becomes a healer. This is what it looks like. The first thing he does is he gets involved materially. In the story Jesus tells, the Samaritan goes over there, he takes some wine and he pours it onto the wounds of this man who's been left for dead, a Jewish man. Now, The wine in that day would have been used to disinfect the wound. It served as a bit of a a, a disinfectant. And so he's pouring wine and then he'll pour oil on the wounds of this Samaritan. I mean, sorry, of, of of this Jewish man left for dead. The oil soothes the wounds and actually brings some protection to the open wounds. And then he'll bandage up the wounds, which means he's likely going to have to get something from his wardrobe. He's going to have to open his suitcase, open a saddlebag off his donkey, grab some of his clothing, rip it, shred it into bandage-like length and width, and then wrap these wounds up of this Jewish man left for dead. This man gets involved materially. Second thing he does is he gets involved physically. He, he goes over and, he, and yes, he, he, he takes some of his own resources, his own materials, and he binds up wounds. But then he picks up the man and puts him on his own donkey, which means now he's not going to be riding, he's going to be walking. And he provides sort of an ambulatory transportation service to this man who's been left for dead to take him to a place so he can heal. And he's going to personally care for this man. In the story that Jesus tells, he provides short-term care. He goes to the inn, and he then begins caring for this man, taking care of him, and he gets involved materially, and he gets involved physically. And the last way that he gets involved is he gets involved economically. He actually uses some of his own resources. After day one, he takes two silver coins. He gives it to uh, the innkeeper to pay the bill. And then he vouches for long-term care. He says, look, I'm a regular. You know me. I'm going to be coming back through here. And whatever it costs, however long it takes for this man to heal, you can count on me. I'll vouch for him. I will pay his bill. And what Jesus does in telling the story is, look, how do we love our neighbor? Or in, in our context is where how do I, how do I be and that's just not be a racist. That's a great attitude. We, we, we certainly don't want to go down down the road. I don't think you want to go down that road. but how do I go from a, an attitude that some might perceive as passive and then respond to the opportunities that come before me, well, see and feel and as the Spirit of God prompts, be a healer. And that might mean getting materially involved. That might mean getting physically involved. That might mean getting economically involved. And friends, this idea of restorative justice is all through the scriptures. Again, Micah 6 verse 8, Isaiah 58, Amos 5, Job chapter 29. We've got Luke chapter 10, Matthew chapter 25, the parable of the sheep and goats. Jesus is, is, is talking and saying, look, there's these people who are, who are hungry and, and what he's really talking about here is he's talking about what's it really look for someone to be an authentic follower of God? Someone who, there's no one more important to them than God. That vertical relationship is set, yet the horizontal relationships are also set. Because of what God has done for me, then I'm going to live this out wherever God has placed me. I'm going to pursue restorative justice for others. This is why what Jesus is doing in Matthew chapter 25, as he tells the parable of the sheep and goats, he's exposing the hypocrite. I want to read this. we will put it up on the screen. But here's what I want you to understand. Most people in the Christian church see social or restorative justice as optional. We worship Jesus, go to church, pray and study our Bibles. Yet Matthew chapter 25 exposes and warns the potential hypocrite. The hypocrite is the one who does not tangibly care for the disadvantaged. Your attitude toward the disadvantage you got to get this. Your attitude toward the disadvantage is your attitude toward Jesus. This is the point of the parable. Restorative justice is not the pathway to salvation. Friends, this is not a performance salvation. Restorative justice is not the pathway to salvation. Compassionate restorative justice is the fruit of salvation. It's all lip service if my salvation does not translate into good deeds. But my fear is, when it comes to the topic of justice, is that we fully embrace retributive justice, which we should. Lawlessness, is, it's not the heart of God. Yet that's half the picture of what justice is. Restorative justice isn't in any sense or any way people who are disadvantaged having an eye out for them and doing our very best just like the Samaritan does in this story to love his neighbor and to see the disadvantaged, to feel their plight, and as the Spirit of God prompts, to be involved and be a healer. And that might mean materially being involved. It might mean physically being involved. It might mean economically being involved. But it is all about loving God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength and loving our neighbor as ourselves. Now, here's how the story ends up. I read it. The story is this. Jesus asked the question to this lawyer, this lawyer who's trying to justify himself with this question. Because it's obvious that he's been selecting and choosing who who he's going to love as his neighbor. He asks the question, who is the one who loved his neighbor? And the lawyer can't even say the word Samaritan. He answers the question simply by saying, well, the one, the one who showed mercy. And Jesus says, Yes, you're right, but it doesn't stop there. He says, now you go do that thing. You go do it. In fact, he asks the question, who proved to love his neighbor? Remember our question. Remember that what we're hearing today is it's not good enough just to be to not be racist. That feels passive. But we, we, we must action when prompted by the Spirit needs to take place. Who this is this is what we prove. This is what Jesus is getting at in the story. Who proved to be the one who loved his neighbor? He's not. Jesus is not asking who your neighbor is. He's saying, who proved it? It's the one who showed mercy. So, as we chase justice, we take a story like the one Jesus has spoken, a provocative story. A story in which, you can feel the the tension in in the first century story. But just change the characters and I think you could feel the the tension today. And Jesus is inviting us to love our neighbor in the same way. Now, let me just say this. Um, A question that we could ask ourselves as we consider this parable or other parables that Jesus taught is what's, so what's my attitude towards the disadvantaged? When I see someone who doesn't have perhaps the job, the access, the wealth, the the standing, the status, the language, social power that I do, what? What's my attitude? Because remember, Jesus, he gets to the point. He could have told a story about a bird, a squirrel, and a rabbit. But he's getting to the point here. And he's saying, friends, our attitude towards the disadvantage is our attitude toward Jesus. What's my attitude towards the disadvantage in my neighborhood, in my city, in my nation? Before I I, I give, that's that's sort of a thing to think about, maybe perhaps you can talk about that in your house churches today, but before I kind of give a next application point, can I just say this? My goal in doing this talk today was not in any way to heap on false guilt or condemnation. We we need to understand the difference between conviction and condemnation, but I think when it comes to this topic, I think sometimes we can take on things and and it can be really, really heavy, and, and I get that. And I think when we talk about the racial strife that's, that exists in our nation, that sometimes we feel like it's so big and what can I do? We feel helpless in a sense. And sometimes that helplessness can give birth to a sort of an apathy and sometimes it can we can take, take on a Messiah complex. I mean, literally, what... what What can I do? The problem is so big. I'm not going to be able to write the legislation. I'm not going to bring the healing that can really transform this whole nation. Friends, can I just free you from all of that weight and simply say, here's a practical way that you can live out the heart of Jesus right here today, Salem, Oregon, Kaiser, Oregon, Willamette Valley. Here's what you can do is simply notice those in your pathway. Just notice the ones that you're walking by. See the look in their eyes. See their situation. Feel their situation. Take a closer look. Ask a question. Say hello. Smile. And what you might find is an opportunity to love your neighbor. Oh, it's not going to change the world, but it's going to change their world. Because it might be a Holy Spirit nudge where you get involved materially, where you get involved physically, where you get involved economically, and you, res- you pursue the just, You chase the justice that is so near and dear to the heart of God. And as you do that freely, generously, friends, Jesus is pleased. Because we're loving God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And we're loving our neighbor as ourselves. Let's pray together. So Lord, today we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are a God who saw the disadvantaged state that we were in. Lord, it's not hard to extrapolate this and see that we were the ones who were beat up, stripped naked, broken on the side of the road and you were the one who was walking by and you did not pass us by you walked over you saw our predicament outside of christ and you came and you you poured out the wine you poured out the oil you bandaged up our wounds you got materially involved and you got physically involved jesus you went to the cross And Lord, now we have an inheritance because of what you've done for us, Jesus. Lord, I pray that in these days, as we talk about each and every person who's made in the image of God, I ask and pray that you would empower us by your spirit to reflect the compassion and the love that you've reflected and you have given to us so freely. Freely we have received. Now, Lord, freely may we give. We ask that the the tide level of peace would rise in our nation, in our state, in our city, in our own hearts on this day. For the sake of your great name, we pray this, the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for joining us on the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. We are a community of believers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. If you have a request that we could pray for, please email us at prayers at salemalliance.org. If you'd like more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org.